The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Good morning, Mountain Park. So good to see you. My name is Alan. Even when the flood comes, even when the flood, even when the government wants your building, the the waters keep on uh, flowing. It's all going to be great. It's all going to it's all going to be okay. Uh, so glad you're here. Hey, before I uh, jump in, actually, before I continue the message that has been uh, started through the uh, worship time uh, so far here, I want to let you know that uh, this morning's message is is PG thirteen. Okay, just kind of a forewarning before we jump in, and uh, this is not because of sexual references, which is oftentimes the case. The, this morning, it's more of like some graphic, not up on the screen, but some verbally graphic things that I'm going to make reference to, and so I wanted to give you a heads up for those of you who have children here in the room. Maybe not PG-13, maybe PG-10 and a half, something like that, uh, somewhere around there. But I wanted to just give you a quick heads up. Uh, folks in children's ministry would love to uh, help you with that if you want to um, let your uh, little one uh, enjoy that. So I may already have your attention by saying it's PG-13. You go, oh, maybe I should listen to this one. I get it. I get it. I get it. In the year 1533, King Henry VIII was excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church because he wanted to divorce his wife one of his first of many divorces, and he wanted to divorce his wife, and the Roman Catholic Church said, you can't do that. And so uh, King Henry VIII said, yes, I can. (laughs) King Henry VIII, I am, I am. Henry VIII, I am. And so he said, I can do whatever I want. I'm the king. And so he pulled away from the Roman Catholic Church. Instead of trying to to reconnect with them or reconcile with them, he said, you know what? We're going to start our own thing. We'll call it the Church of England. We'll call it the Church of England. This is literally what happened. We'll call it the Church of England, and he declared himself the supreme head of the Church of England. It's good to be king, because this is, I mean, this was his journey. He said, then I can do whatever I want to do. 20 years later, 1553, his daughter Mary was queen. She became queen, and she wanted to reconnect with the Roman Catholic Church. She wanted to uh, reestablish that, uh, that relationship. And the preachers and the Bible scholars and her religious um, uh, uh, con- uh, consultants said this is not a good idea because there is this Reformation thing going on, and it would be best for us to continue to embrace the, the grace and the freedom that, uh, that the Protestant movement is experiencing, that we could do something amazing and beautiful and biblically consistent with this. And, uh, and they were uh, not interested in fully embracing the Pope and the Pope's role in their journey. So these uh, people who were very much against what Queen Mary wanted to do, they had to be taken care of. And so uh, what Queen Mary did is he, uh, uh, she took those who were against her journeys to reconnect with the Roman Catholic Church, and she tied them to a post over top of piles of wood, and she lit those, uh, the wood on fire and burned them alive at the stake. It said that she did this to over 200 Christians who opposed what she was trying to do in terms of reconnecting with the Roman Catholic Church. This is actually why uh, she's referred to by uh, historians as Bloody Mary. 
20, uh, uh, so this is, this is one, two examples of uh, Christian leaders who were a part of that was a preacher named uh, Ridley and a Bible scholar named Latimer. They were both burned at the stake. And the story goes is that they were actually in line. Ridley was going to be burned first, and then Latimer was going to be burned after that. And that as Ridley was up there, uh, that the wood underneath him was too green and it wasn't burning well. And so when they lit it, it only burned the lower half of his body. So he was hanging there alive in inexplainable pain as they gathered around more wood to try to get this taken care of so that they could finish him off. And while they're doing that, he's writhing in pain. Latimer, who's next, who's watching this happen, he looks up and he says, he says, we are lighting a candle in England that will never be burned out. <sighs> Knowing that he was next and he was going to be tied to the stake and burned alive as his friend Ridley was. Now you look at an event like that and you just, uh, you know, in the 16th century, and you just think, how could someone have enough faith, have enough courage and faith to endure something like that? How is it possible that someone could, could have so much strength in their beliefs that they would be able to endure that? What if that was you? What, what, if, what if you had a situation where someone said, all you have to do is denounce your faith. All you have to do is say that Jesus is not king. Jesus is not your Lord. That's all you have to do. You just have to say those words. Deny, denounce Jesus as your Savior, and then you will live. How would you respond if you had to choose between your life or your faith? I mean, it's, it's almost unfathomable to imagine being in a situation like that. And that is not going to be you know, most likely it's not going to be the situation for, for those of us in here. But what about the smaller versions of that? What about the smaller versions where we are asked to lay down our lives for others in marriage, in our family, in our relationships, at work? What about those moments where we are asked to sacrifice in those ways? How do we respond? We're going to take a look at the story of the martyrs and and see how that fits into the church history story. And we're just going to see how, how might that challenge us in our own journey. As we go down that road, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I know you invite us to look to the future and to dream and to be hopeful and to be excited about what your plans are and what your story is in the future. But Father, you also invite us to look to the past, to appreciate and understand the stories that we find in Scripture, these amazing, sacrificing, life-giving stories in Scripture, and then these stories throughout church history that are just so inspiring, ways that, that others have surrendered their lives to you. So Father, I pray today as we take a look at our passages of, passage of Scripture, God, that there will be something that um, is enlightened for us here in this place. God, Holy Spirit, would you come and and uh, as we learn something together here in this room, at the same time, you would challenge us individually, that you would have access to every heart, every story, every pain, every suffering, every challenge here in this place, that you would speak personally and intimately to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. 
We are on a journey this year that we're continuing called Foundation. And what we're doing is uh, over the year, we've identified 40 foundational passages of Scripture to help us understand what the overall story is. And right now, specifically, uh, we are looking at some of the, the passages that have been foundational in the church history journey. Last week, Don talked about the first few verses from the Gospel of John, in, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that this was an essential part of our theological understanding that Jesus was fully God and fully human. It is a very important part of that, uh, of that, uh, that journey. Today, I want to take a look at a verse that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I invite you, if you have your uh, digital Bible or your uh, Bibles in front of you, uh, even though it's up on the screen, I still invite you to take a look at it, and I'll explain why. Uh, feel free to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. Up here on the screen is the English Standard Version of this passage, and uh, it goes like this, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Again, this is the English Standard Version, and it is likely, the reason I invite you to open up your Bibles is that it's, it's possible that this is different than what you have in front of you, that there, there are different versions of this verse, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But here we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it reminds me a little bit, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, we looked at verse 5, which was near the beginning of this chapter, and Hebrews chapter 11 was, was the, uh, we, we viewed it as the blank chapter. In, in all of Scripture, it is known as the what chapter? The faith chapter. Good, 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 good. It's the faith chapter. And so we looked at one of the verses that was the beginning of that. So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, looking at verse 3, which is at the beginning, near the beginning of this chapter, which it, similarly, it is the what chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the what chapter? The love chapter. It is the, it is the chapter that is so often read at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It does not envy. It's a beautiful chapter. It's a beautiful picture. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is not a chapter about romantic love. Even though that's how we typically read it and we, you know, read it at weddings, etc. It is not about romantic love. One of the problems with the English language is that we're so limited with the word love. We just have one, love, one word that has to cover so much territory. I love my spouse. I love my mother-in-law. Different, same word, different use of the word. I love my dog. I love chocolate ice cream. I love not smashing into a door when I walk through it. I mean, I just, there's just all kind of, all, the, the word love is just so bizarre, just kind of spread out so much. In Greek, there are four different words for love just in terms of our connection with one another. That, that, that in, in Greek, the romantic love is eros, E-R-O-S. That's where we get the word erotic. It's the romantic love. And Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it does not use the word eros. He uses the word agape. It's not one of the other four Greek words for love. And agape is the highest form of love. It's, it's the absolute pinnacle, the ultimate in what love is and could be. It is the word that is used to describe God's love for us. That God so agaped the world 
that he gave his one and only son. Agape is the highest form of love. It is unconditional. It perseveres uh, no matter uh, what the circumstances. It is a tremendous love. So, 1 Corinthians 13 is not used eros, but I still think it's a great chapter to read at a wedding. Now, eros is the love that got us to the wedding, right? I mean, eros is the love that with, the, with the googly eyes and the, 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 the you know, the, it leads to the engagement. It leads to the ring and the story and the wedding and the planning and, and all that. I love you more. No, I love you more. That's all eros love, and that's a beautiful thing, and it leads to the wedding, and it's a great thing. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is talking about agape. I think one of the reasons that so many marriages struggle that they end in divorce is that so many marriages that started off with eros, they didn't make the transition into agape. It's this very important transition from eros to agape. And what happens if we stay in eros, we're five, ten years into it, whatever, however long that is, and then we say, you know what? I don't think I love you anymore. I don't I don't feel like I love you anymore. In other words, that eros romantic love has, has moved on. But agape love, it doesn't move on. That, that's not what agape love does. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love, agape love, it always trusts, always perseveres. Agape never fails. And so, uh, this is the word that we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This verse, this chapter is about agape love. The verse that we're taking a look at here, verse 3, is the third part of a triplet that Paul uses to start off this chapter. There's three little pieces that that are consistent, that are kind of rolled together. And verse 1 is the first part of this triplet. Essentially, he says, if I am a smooth talker, and I can write poetry and write songs and sing to you and, and, and lull you into it. You're so wooed. If I can do all of that, but I don't have agape, then I'm like a clanging cymbal. I mean, I just sound. I'm just noise. And then verse 2 essentially says, if I can solve the mysteries of the world, if I am so brilliant and I can handle all of these situations, but I don't have agape, then I'm nothing. And all of that moves to the third of this triplet. It says, if I give everything, if I give all I have to the poor, and even if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. As I said before, there's a textual problem with this verse. And the problem is on one word here in the middle of this verse. One word, it's a fairly long Greek word that I won't even attempt to pronounce, but in the middle of that word, there is a letter that shows up as one letter at some points and another letter at other points. At some points, that letter, um, uh, either that word means burned or it means boast. And if you look at other versions of, of your scripture, you'll find either the word burned and the sentence is wrapped around that concept, or you'll find the word boast. And it's this big letter. There's one big word, one little letter in the middle that determines whether it's burned or boast, burned or boast. And it's actually a, a, a significant controversy over the past 2,000 years in terms of what, what did this originally say. The NIV version of Scripture, which is normally what I um, 
I teach through, is the NIV, is that it used to say burned, or I offer my uh, body up to the flames, but now it says boast. And so they made the switch from burned to boast. The interesting thing is that, are you still with me? Uh, 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 About half of the ancient manuscripts say burned, and half say boast. I mean, it's a, it's a significant, you know, controversy there. And uh, just, just so you know, just as a reminder, we don't have the original letter that Paul wrote. We don't have the, the original letters. They were copied out many times. We have many ancient manuscripts of these things. And the scholars, they take all of that information and they land on, okay, what, what is the version of the Bible? And I believe, I've said this multiple times, I believe God protects His Word. He has protected the Bible for us to be able to enjoy it and be transformed by it. But here we have in this verse, significant controversy. Why is that the case? Why do we not know? Uh, uh, what did Paul originally write in that? I do not have the answer to that. I'm not sure. Scholars don't even have the answer to that. But I'm fascinated by the word burned. And it's the reason that I, I, I choose this version, the English Standard Version, for our uh, passage here today. And you can decide you know, how you want to proceed with that. But for me, I'm fascinated by the word burned because up until this point, there has been no evidence that this was a way of killing people, that this was a way of, of murdering people. There was no evidence of that. The only evidence they can come up with is deep in the Old Testament, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As part of the exile story, hundreds of years before this was written, that they were sent into the fiery furnace. But did they burn? No, they didn't. They didn't even burn. They were just sent in the fiery furnace. That's the closest story that we can get. This was written around 55 AD. No evidence that there was anyone who had ever been burned, who had ever delivered their body up to be burned. Yet, stay with me, stay with me. Yet, within just a few years of this being written, this became the method of killing Christians. This became the predominant method of killing Christians. That under the persecution of Nero, so the New Testament talks a lot about the persecution. The, the, the Roman emperor Nero, uh, it's said that he would take Christians and he would paint them with tar and he would hang them up on posts in his front lawn and light them on fire at night to light up his gardens. They would be these live human torches in the front of his garden and that's how he would kill many, many Christians. And this continued over the centuries. We get into the inquisitions of the 12th and the 13th century. This is how they killed heretics. They burned them at the stake. And then we have the story of Bloody Mary burning an estimated 200 Christians at the stake. This became uh, a largely used way that Christians were killed. Over the last past 2,000 years, it's estimated that over 70 million Christians were killed for their faith. Over 70 million martyrs over the past 2,000 years. It's estimated that now that there are at least uh, 10,000 martyrs, whether it's burning or other ways, 10,000 martyrs every year. Still, this isn't just ancient history. This is still happening today. And and some estimate that number way higher than 10,000. Every year, 10,000 every year. Not Christians who are killed, but Christians who are martyred, killed because of their faith. Okay, let me just pause for a moment. Because we've looked at a little bit of background, we looked at this verse a little bit, and and we have to turn the corner and say, okay, so what? At some point you have to do that. I mean, uh, 
whenever you dive into church history and for the, for the few of you who get excited about and fascinated by church history, are you with me? Just for, the, for those of you who may, even if it was possible for you to be fascinated by church history, at some point we have to say, okay, so what? Okay, I've learned the information, but what does that mean now? We can dig into a chapter, a verse, a word, a letter, but we have to get to the question, okay, so what? What does this mean? And, and I, as I look at this and spend time with this, I, I, I think what this verse is saying is that not every pain leads to gain. Not every pain leads to gain. And I think this is important. I'm going to spend the rest of my time trying to, trying to lay out why I think this is important. We were familiar with the phrase, phrase, no pain, no gain. I had a friend in Cincinnati who used to say, no pain, no pain. He didn't exercise much. I mean, that was his philosophy. That was his thing. Why, why, no pain. I, why would I do the, want to do the first part? I understand the second part, but why would I want to do the first part? But we embrace no pain, no gain. We embrace that, and we know what that means. That means that I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to invest time. I'm willing to invest money. I am willing to invest energy and effort in this. I'm willing to endure something. I'm willing to, we think of it, you know, often in terms of physical, you know, physically getting fit, etc. But, but we can uh, think about that in many other, you know, emotional areas as well, that I'm willing to experience suffering because I believe it will be the pathway to gain. That, that no pain, no gain is kind of flipped around. You know, logically, it can say pain equals gain, that my pain will lead to gain. And we need to be careful with that because, not every, because there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that our pain, that our willingness to enter into pain is going to lead us to gain. There's no guarantee in that. One horrific example of that is that 15 years ago today, some radical Muslims were willing to give their lives to be martyrs for something that they believed in. They were willing to be burned by jet fuel as they crashed their airplanes into the Twin Towers, into the Pentagon, and then intended into God knows what. There was this, this pain that they were willing to enter into because of what they believed was going to be gain. They believed with their understanding of, 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 of Allah that this was going to be a gain. And if we understand the Quran correctly, they, under, they, they believed that there would be gain for them in eternity, that they would have 72 dark-eyed virgins waiting for them in the afterlife if they gave their lives in that way. So here's, here's, here's an example where you see the pain, just because someone's willing to go through pain doesn't mean they're going to experience the gain. Because if, if we look at gain in terms of, of the perspective of our, of our creator, of the heavenly father, then what they did, the pain that they went through, what they were committed to, what they were willing to give their lives for is not something that honored God in any way. Why? Because it missed the central element of verse 3. The, the critical element here is love. The critical element here in this piece is love. That's the one that allows God the Father, regardless of the situation, regardless of the situation, to be honored and blessed 
is that when, when our situation is just doused with love. So here in this verse, verse 3, we have three pieces. We have pain, we have love, and we have gain. We have pain. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, if, I'm, if I have this suffering, this sacrifice, this thing I'm willing to do, and then there's love, but I have not love, then I gain nothing. There's pain, there's love, and there's gain. And I, what, I think, what I think we can read in here is that it's okay to seek gain. It's okay. It's okay that, 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 that a martyr or, you know, us, as we think about suffering, as we think about our own journey, it's okay to desire gain. Paul says, if I do all this without love, then I, then I gain nothing. There's an implication there that it's okay to want to gain. It's okay to want to enjoy life. It's okay to want to prepare for the future, for eternity. It's okay to want to enjoy the love of others that is reciprocated as we love. It's okay to enjoy the love of God, the agape love of God. It's okay. It's okay to desire gain. But what happens is when we allow no pain, no gain to roll around in our mind, no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain, I want gain, so that means I have to endure pain. Or that means I will tolerate something in my life because I believe it will be a pathway to gain. So I'm willing to tolerate this. What areas of your life are you tolerating something because you, will believe, you believe it will be a pathway to gain? We, we tolerate a boss who overworks us. We, we tolerate a boss that we, uh, we really don't like, maybe, or we talk about behind his or her back, uh, and, and we, we tolerate this despite the fact that it, it has uh, tremendous pain on our personal life, on our family life, on our health. But we, we tolerate this, this need to overwork or this, this request from our job, etc., to please those at work, etc., because we believe that one day we will be recognized. One day we will get that promotion. One day we will gain enough money, and then we will gain to the point where, to make that all worth, worthwhile. That we tolerate this pain because, well, no pain, no gain, so this is going to take me to this spot over here. Or, give me I'll give you a relational example. We, we, if you're dating, and we tolerate a boyfriend or a girlfriend who, who doesn't treat us well, who treats us poorly, who is disrespectful or inconsistent. We tolerate that because, well, well one day, maybe I'm going to change that person. One day, maybe that person will, will kind of shave off the bad stuff that I consistently see. And, and those good moments, we're going we're to be filled with all those good moments. And I'm going to gain the greatest relationship ever. So we tolerate this pain, this this emotional roller coaster of a relationship because we believe, well, it, it's part of the pain journey that will lead us to gain. Or we tolerate a spouse who is physically or emotionally abusive. We believe it, we have to tolerate that pain because the, the gain is that at least I'm with somebody and, and uh, uh, anything is better than being alone. Anything is better than me having to figure this out alone. So I'm going to continue to tolerate this. I'm going to take on this pain. Or we tolerate unhealthy relationships. 
where perhaps in those relationships, we are the ones who continue to take the hits. And it's, it's not a balanced relationship. It, and and we're, we're the ones who continue to, I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to be the martyr here. In this. I'm going to take the high road. I'm, I'm getting attacked. I'm getting to kind of a one-sided thing. And I'm, and, and, and I'm going to not strike back. I'm going to be the one who says, okay, you're right. I, I was wrong or whatever. I, I will be the one to take it. I will, I will pay for it. I will pay the penalty. I'll pay the, for the meal or whatever. I will be the one who just takes it, takes it, takes it. I will tolerate that relationship because I want to gain something out of it. That I'm committed to the, to the, to the, to the pain piece because I want to gain something out of it. And here's, here's, here's what I think is so important out of this verse. That is a challenge to the idea of no pain, no gain. Is that it doesn't work without love. That the whole thing, that we're counting on pain to lead us to gain. And it doesn't work without love. In the same way that the terrorists of 9-11, they needed this element of love that they absolutely did not have. So you and I need this element of love in order to make this work. And what that means is, as you look at your pain, what you are experiencing, is it rooted in love? Is it saturated with love, because when it is, when it is, it will always lead to gain. When the, when the pain part has love, it will lead to gain. And so that forces us to ask our questions, okay, why am I willing to tolerate this? Why am I willing to tolerate a boss who overworks me, who, who, who doesn't give me credit, who doesn't um, follow through on promises. Why do I continue to, to tolerate this? It, is it rooted in love or is it rooted in something else? What am I banking on here? Why do I continue to tolerate a boyfriend or a girlfriend who is, who is disrespectful and inconsistent? Why do I tolerate an abusive relationship? Why do I tolerate an imbalanced relationship where you feel like you're getting burned on a regular basis and you just continue. Why, why am I doing that? Is it, is it wrapped in love? Is it doused in love? Is it, is it floating in love? Is that why you're tolerating it? Because it's all about the love. It's with love. Then that'll lead to great things. But if it's not, then it might lead to tremendous disappointment because oftentimes gain doesn't, or pain doesn't lead to the gain that we want. And that's tough. That's difficult. That's painful. You know, kids struggle with this. You know, kids struggle with this. They say, they say, I cleaned my room so that I can watch a movie. I mean, that's a very natural, I went through this pain so that I can experience the gain. It's very clear and simple. My room is clean. I know how the DVD player works. I mean, it's a very simple transition there. And then we say, you know what? I'm sorry, but it, it took too long and you didn't get after it right away, so there's not enough time to watch the movie. And so the kid says, no, I clean my room so that I can watch the movie. I mean, this whole idea of cleaning the, mo- the room and not getting the movie, that's not an option. Right? I mean, the, I, the reason I did the pain is that I'm expecting the gain. And we say, no, honey, no. I'm so sorry, but, but you cleaned your room because you're a good kid. You cleaned your room because you're part of this family and we do this together. You cleaned your room because you get great joy out of making your mom and dad proud, right? 
No. No, I clean my room because I want the movie. I mean, that's all that makes sense. And it's so hard for a kid to understand this. Fortunately, we adults don't struggle with stuff like that. Fortunately, there's no version of that whatsoever in the adult life, right? <clears throat> when we're motivated by gain, then, then agape isn't there, and it's conditional. And so then, then, we're just, then we're just saying, the only reason I'm doing this is I want to watch the movie. When we're motivated by love, here's, here's the beauty part, here's the freedom part. When we're motivated by love in, in the midst of our struggle and our pain and our suffering, then we experience peace whether the gain happens or not. That, that's the beautiful part. When, when it is surrounded by love, when it's floating in love, we experience the peace even when the gain doesn't happen. So, in what way are you, are you, do you feel like you're a martyr? I mean, in what, in what area of your life do you feel like you're enduring this tremendous pain, this tremendous suffering, this, this ongoing difficulty? As you look at that, you look at the pain piece of your life, what, what's, what's driving it? What's, what's keeping you going through that? What's your motivation for enduring the pain? Is it that you want sympathy? Do you want credit? Do you want to just hold on because one day people are going to notice that you're right and they're wrong? Is it because you want revenge? Eventually this thing is going to flip around. What, what's the motivation? What's the, what's the, what, what could your pain and suffering look like if it was saturated with love? As you look at the pain and suffering, the thing that you're struggling with, how would it be different if it was driven by love? To say, I am experiencing this because I love my spouse. This is about my love for the company and I believe what we're doing. This is about my love for my kids or my friends or the church or my group. This is, this is saturated in love. That's why I'm enduring this, paying this price, suffering in this way. Jesus himself, he says, greater love, greater agape has no one than he lay down his life for his friend. I mean, there's, there, is, there is no more than that than to say, I'm going I'm to experience this pain and this suffering. And Jesus modeled this, of course. I'm going to experience this pain and suffering, not so that I can gain, but because of love. That when we're motivated by gain, we'll regularly be disappointed not always, but regularly be disappointed. When we're motivated by love, we will live regret-free lives. I mean, we will just, we will just sometimes it'll roll into gain. Sometimes we just say, we, we, we just say, okay, it, it is what it is. When we're motivated by love, we still, we say, I don't regret what I did. I don't regret that. So here, as we look at, hear this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I give all away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's wrap our pain and suffering with love. Let's just douse it with love and then reap the benefits of that. The band's going to come up and 
lead us in one uh, final song to say, I, I stand. I, I, I stand in terms of my beliefs. I stand in terms of saying, this, this is who my, my God is. I stand. I, I will endure hardship. I will endure pain and suffering motivated by love. That's how I'm going to proceed. That's how I'm going to view these relationships, etc. As we head into the song, would you bow your heads with me? Father, I... I thank you that, you that you have promised that you are with us always. That you were with Ridley and Latimer as they hung on that post and gave their lives for you. You were with them. That you've been with the, the millions of martyrs over the centuries. The people now in other parts of the world who are giving their lives not because they're spiteful, but they're saying, God, forgive them for they know not what they do, that they are filled with love. God, may we be inspired by that today, that, that, our, that our small version of laying down our lives would be something that is done with love, that we would be willing to, to suffer, that we would be willing to sacrifice for your sake, and that that would be done with, with a smile on our face showing that we're doing it out of love and that, and that you're so proud of us when we do that. Inspire us this week, I pray, as we, as we die to ourselves just a little bit more this week. Inspire us to do it out of love, we pray in your son's name. Amen.